Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now, what the Lord Jesus Christ does for those who come to him is described in Hebrews 7.25. Hebrews 7.25 is a wonderful verse because it says, wherefore he is able, those are great words, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So in short, these words, he is able, Hebrews 7.25. Let's say there was an Egyptian who just doesn't like the name of Joseph. I mean, it's just he doesn't want to come to the name Joseph because Joseph's a Hebrew name and Hebrews, for Egyptian, Hebrews were an abomination. And just imagine how this sounded to an Egyptian coming from Pharaoh. Go to a Jew named Joseph, and what he says you should do, do it. It's very hard for an Egyptian to hear that. I mean, in verse 55, go unto Joseph, what he saith you do. And, and it's hard. It's hard as for a Jewish person. It's just as hard as for a Jewish person to hear from God, go unto Jesus. And what he saith to you do. It's really hard for a Jewish person to hear from God, go to Christ, and what he saith to you do. And it's just as, really, it's just hard for most of the world to hear God say to them, go to Jesus Christ, and what he saith to you do. And so it's understandable to see how an Egyptian could have asked the question, couldn't I just go directly to Pharaoh without going through Joseph? And Pharaoh would say the words, he would answer that question in verse 55, he would say, no, go unto Joseph. No one can come to Pharaoh without going through Joseph. And in the same way, eternal life comes down to one simple criteria. It's not complicated at all. It's about as simple as walking through a door. When it says in 1 John 5.11, 1 John 5.11 said, this is the record. God has given to us eternal life and this life is in his son. He that has the son has life. He that hath not the son of God hath not life. It's just that simple. To have the Lord Jesus Christ is to have eternal life. And to not have the Lord Jesus Christ is to not have eternal life. Now, verse 55. Verse 55. This may seem like a dumb question, but follow along anyway. (laughs) Verse 55. Who did Pharaoh say to go to? He said Joseph. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? This is an exact quote. He said, go on to Joseph. Isn't that interesting to you that Pharaoh said to the Egyptians that they should go to Joseph? That's a direct quote, to Joseph. In verse 45, what name did Pharaoh give to Joseph? What name did Pharaoh say Joseph should be called? 
verse 45. I just want to hear you say it. <laughs> it's just, I don't even know what the word means. I guess, I, but anyway, I just love to say, Zafnaf Paneach. <laughs> can you say that like seashells, seashells, seashells? <laughs> How many times can you say, Zafnaf Paneach? Anyway, verse 45 specifically states, Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zafnath Paneah. Now, when we look at verse 55, when the famished Egyptians came to Pharaoh asking for bread, then we have a direct quote from, jo- from Pharaoh where he says, go unto Joseph. Oops, Joseph, he says. Okay, that was a direct quote. Go unto Joseph. Doesn't that seem strange to you? Because in verse 45, he said, you call him Zatnath Paneach. <laughs> Maybe he had trouble saying Zatnath Paneach. <laughs> Joseph was easier, I don't know. But in verse 55, when Pharaoh spoke to the Egyptian people, he didn't call him Zatnath Paneach. He didn't say, go to Zatnath Paneach. <laughs> Pharaoh had said that Joseph's name should be Zatnath Paneach. But why didn't Pharaoh say to the Egyptians, go to Zatnath Paneach? Why did Pharaoh say to the Egyptians, go unto Joseph? Well, the reason is because no matter what new name they may have given to Joseph, it didn't stick because his well-known name was Joseph. Joseph would always be known as Joseph and not Zatnath Paneach. Well, then the question is, well, why did Pharaoh want to change his name then to Zatnath Paneach instead of Joseph? And the answer is because Joseph is a Hebrew name and Hebrews were an abomination to the Egyptians. So he tried to soften the offense. Pharaoh tried to soften the offense by giving Joseph another name. And the point is that it didn't work. It didn't work. Even though Pharaoh with a new name tried to hide the fact that Joseph was not a Hebrew, it didn't work because even Pharaoh himself reverted back to using the name of Joseph, and he abandoned this name of Zathnath Paneah, which was designed to hide the name of Joseph. That's a very important for us. Why? Because it's exactly what's happening today. What do you mean? Just as the Egyptians found the well-known Hebrew name of Joseph as offensive, so the Jewish people find the well-known Greek name of Jesus to be offensive. And just as Pharaoh tried to hide the well-known Hebrew name of Joseph with an Egyptian name of Zatnath Paneah, so people today try to hide the well-known Greek name of Jesus with a Hebrew name of Yeshua. And just as this hiding of the well-known Hebrew name of Joseph with an Egyptian name of Zatnath Paneah didn't work, and Pharaoh re- himself reverted back to calling him by his well-known Hebrew name of Joseph. So this hiding of the well-known Greek name of Jesus with the Hebrew name of Yeshua has not worked. And people revert back to calling him by his well-known Greek name of Jesus. And we can imagine people in Egypt really trying to get that Egyptian name, Zatnath Paneah, to stick so that every time an Egyptian referred to him as Joseph, someone would say, you know, we don't call him Joseph around here. We call him Zathnath Paneach. <laughs> and try as they would to call him Zathnath, whatever that is, Zathnath Paneach, they'd give up. And they'd go back to calling him by his well-known name of Joseph. 
And that's exactly what, you, what happens today, is there are those who really try to get the Hebrew name of Yeshua to stick, so that every time someone calls him Jesus, someone will say, you know, we don't call him Jesus around here, we call him Yeshua. But for the most, try as they would call him Yeshua, they give up and just go back to the well-known name of Jesus. Now, deep in the heart of man, the name of Jesus is offensive. It's not just to Jewish people. It's just offensive. Do you ever wonder why people curse with that name Jesus? I mean, of all the names they could choose to curse with, why do they choose that name? I mean, when they're hurt or when they're surprised, why do they say Jesus? Why do they say Jesus? Because the name of Jesus is so offensive. It's so demeaning, to use it that way. And people would really just like to avoid the name of Jesus like the former Orthodox Jewish man from New York City who called in to, the, to earn this week, this last week, and said he does believe in God, but he's not accepting that God is Jesus Christ. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is a stumbling block, it says in, in Isaiah 8.14. He is a stumbling block. Isaiah 8.14 says, and he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling, and for a rock of offense, to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And Peter picks up on this in 1 Peter 2.8, 1 Peter 2.8. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto they were called. So you can see somebody, you know, he's going along, he's, oh, you know, I like the Bible. Oh, I like God. Oh, I like the heritage. I looked at, and, he, and he's walking, and then all of a sudden, the name of Jesus comes, he stumbles. Oh, no, my toe hurts, you know? I just hit, I, I can't just say Yeshua. You have to say Jesus. I can tolerate, maybe I can tolerate Yeshua, but not Jesus. I just hurt my toe on that name. And so God answers this question. Can I just come to God, but not through Jesus and for that question, the answer is, again, Hebrews 7.25. Hebrews 7.25. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost. That come unto God by him. By him. That's a restriction. Can I also come to God and not save the name of Jesus? And for that, again, the same is, he's able to save them to the uttermost. That come unto God by him. Oh, can I just come to God and, you know, I got in my wallet right here, my Jewish certificate is somewhere in here. <laughs> and my Jewish certificate says, I attended Hebrew school. I was bar mitzvahed. I went to Seder every year, almost every year. I was in temple for the high holidays of Rosh Hashanah and Yom, Yom Kippur. I never ate pork, except for that one time, but I never did it again. I never ate a cheeseburger mixing dairy and meat, except for that one time, but no one was looking. I said kidney prayer for the dead for my parents every year. Is that enough? Isn't all that enough to get me into heaven without Jesus? And the answer comes back as Hebrews 7.25, Hebrews 7.25, wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. It's always by him, by him. That's the answer. So all these questions, can I come unto God without Jesus? The answer is Acts 4.10. Acts 4.10. Acts 4.10. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand before you whole. This is the stone, set it not of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 
That's why I strongly promote the name, the Lord Jesus Christ, and try to get the lost to embrace the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is why I love the name of that organization, Jews for Jesus. I'm glad they're not named Jews for Yeshua, (laughs) because it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Now, Pharaoh... Pharaoh had exalted Joseph so much that it really came down to if a person wanted to honor Pharaoh, he should honor Joseph. And just as Pharaoh was honored when Joseph was honored, so when the Lord Jesus Christ is honored, God the Father is honored, as it says in John 5.23, John 5.23, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father whom he hath sent. So just as if an Egyptian hated Joseph, and what that would mean is that he would be hating Pharaoh. So when a person hates the Lord Jesus Christ, he is hating God the Father, as the Lord said in John 15, 23. John 15, 23, he that hateth me hateth my Father also. Now, we read in verse 56, when the famine was over all the face of the earth, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians, and the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. So now the famine is over all the land of Egypt, and then Joseph opens all the storehouses. And it makes a point in that verse of saying that Joseph opened all the storehouses. And just imagine if Joseph had opened only a few of the central storehouses and made made people have to go there for food. I mean, you know, but Joseph was not a Stalin, right? He didn't purposely kill, who Stalin purposely killed his Russian people with starvation. But what a wonderful sight it must have been for the Egyptian people. Can you imagine to see Joseph open all the storehouses with complete availability? And when Joseph opened all the storehouses, then it became clear to the Egyptian people how Joseph had devoted his life to saving the Egyptian people from starvation. And when the time of need came, the Egyptian people saw Joseph open all the storehouses. Okay, now, with that sight in your mind, what single word would you use to describe Joseph at this time when he opened all the storehouses to feed the Egyptian people, what is the word you would, single word? Saving? Savior. Okay, Savior. Okay, good. What else? Provider. Okay, Savior, Provider. Great words. What else? Okay, all the words to describe Joseph, it's this word generous. Generous. And those are great words, Savior, Provider, but generous. You know, in our last study, we were going over the single names to describe God, and there's one, that's a name we didn't mention. That's the name that we didn't mention, the word generous. But in opening all of the storehouses, Joseph was generous. You know what? God is generous. He's generous. I mean, if you think of a verse that shows the generosity of God, what verse would come to your mind? Yeah, what verse in the Bible? John 3.16. That's a verse of tremendous generosity. That's a verse of tremendous, I mean, there are so many verses in the Bible that show the generosity, but John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Romans 5, 8, 
God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. How about that for generosity? While we were God's enemies, God comes and dies for our sins. How about that for the generosity of God? How about these verses? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Very bad news. Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23 says that. Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So here we are. We've all sinned. By our sins, we have incurred for ourselves. Congratulations. Here's your ticket to hell. Uh, eternal death in hell. And what does God do for us hell-deserving sinners? He gives us a gift of eternal life, compliments of God the Son. He, he dies for our sins to enable God the Father to give us this gift of eternal life. Generosity is really measured by how much it costs the generous person. And the cost of God the Father's generosity is, as Gene said, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the cost. That's the cost of giving up his only begotten son so that we should not get what we deserved, which is to perish. That's generosity. That's generosity. Just to show how much it cost God the Father when he gave his son, he spoke from heaven. The Father spoke from heaven in Matthew 3.17. Matthew 3.17. Low a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So God the Father, he's not just giving up his only son. He's giving up his beloved son. And he's giving up his only son in whom he's well pleased. That's generosity. That's the generosity of God the Father. Generosity of God the Father is seen, especially also in Romans 8.31. Romans 8.31 says, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So God the Father's only beloved son in whom he is well pleased. He didn't for an interest, he didn't for to take his own interest into account. And he didn't say, oh no, not my only beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Give him up for dirty, rotten sinners? I don't think so. It was the generosity of God the Father that comes through when it says in that verse, Romans 8.32, Romans 8.32, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. That's God's generosity. It says he spared not. It means in 2 Corinthians 5.21, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he hath made him to be the sin offering for us all, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so that's that's the generosity. What does that mean when he made him to be the sin offering? What it means, it means Isaiah 53.10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. It means that in God's generosity, it pleased him to bruise his son. It pleased him to put him to grief, his son, in whom he's well pleased. Also, he could save us from our sins. 
That's the generosity of God. The generosity of God is seen in Isaiah 53. 5, Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's God's generosity. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The iniquity of us all. Daniel 9.26, Daniel 9.26, after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, but not for himself. Those three words, not for himself, show the generosity of God. The Lord Jesus Christ died not for himself, not for himself. As it says in 1 Corinthians 15.3, how I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And at the heart of generosity is sympathy. At the heart of generosity is sympathy. And this is what Joseph had for the, for the Egyptian people. Joseph sympathized with the Egyptian people. It really hurt Joseph in his heart to see the Egyptian people suffering from starvation. And that's why God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ have been so generous to us because it hurt them in their heart to see us suffering. They sympathize with our feelings as it says about the Lord Jesus in Hebrews 4.15. Hebrews 4.15, which says, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but it was all point tempted like as we are yet without sin. This word touched, it has such tenderness to it, such intimacy of the Lord Jesus Christ when it comes to our weaknesses. It's one thing to say, Jesus knows all about our sorrows. It's a much greater involvement for him when we read that he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. You know, as you know, this last of two days ago, when I got on the plane in Hawaii to come home, I sat next to a lady and said, hello. And her first words to me was, it's terrible to get old. <laughs> That's what she said. So I said, well, that's nice. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I said, I asked her what was wrong. And then she told me that she had AFib since 1982. Then I really listened. <laughs> and, <laughs> which resulted in a large heart which caused a leaking aortic tricuspid valve that's caused severe swelling in her limbs. And she was going directly from the airplane into the hospital, into the emergency room. Last time she was in ICU for three days. And she told me about all her problems. And all I could think of was that my sympathy was nowhere near the sympathy of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I encouraged her to receive him as her savior that sympathizes with her. Now, when we read in verse 56, that Joseph opened all the storehouses, it shows us that Joseph was carefully watching the state of the Egyptians. And at the right time, Joseph decides, now's the time. And he opens all the storehouses. I mean, he could have decided to open the storehouses in verse 54. Time was that in verse 54, when the seven years of dearth began to come. That was the time of verse 54. It was the began to come. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Do you believe God created the earth? Do you believe God created you in his image? Then come celebrate Museum Day at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California on Saturday, November 4th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Museum Day is a Christian family festival event with life-size dinosaurs, games, rides, contest prizes, fair food, vendor booths, petting zoos, live animal encounters, and super science experiments for kids, along with world-renowned speakers Tom Cantor, Eric Hoven, David Reeves, Russ Miller, Kevin Conover, Dr. John Baumgartner, and more. Free admission to the museum and all speaking engagements for you and your family and entire church family are free. The Creation and Earth History Museum is located off of Highway 67 and Woodside Avenue in Santee next to the Santee Drive-In. So bring your family and friends on Saturday, November 4th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. and strengthen your faith at Museum Day. For more information, call us at 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org, creationsd.org.